Schwarber in the regular season. Oh. Now Harper deep into right center, and he'll watch this one fly. Second home run of the inning. All right, welcome to the fan pregame at Sportsnet 590, the fan across the Sportsnet TV network for the next half hour as well. And up on Sportsnet 360 until 7 p.m., Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar joined in studio. Another in-studio guest to kick us off is Caleb Joseph coming in to help us tee up uh, what's been a really great start to the NLCS, of course, last night. Birthday boy Bryce Harper with the home run to get things uh, fired up for the Phillies. And this has been really fun for Justin and I because we're like on the Phillies bandwagon all of a sudden (laughs) because they are like the team that you want to cheer for in the playoffs. They've got swagger. They've got clutch jeans. They've got a ballpark that is just rabid for wins. And when you watch something like this, it just feels like they have the right destiny in their hands. Especially coming off last year's disappointment. Mm -hmm. They were a team that underachieved for a, a lot of the season and then they caught fire late. In the postseason, then they went out and got Trey Turner and, and solidified a little bit more pieces in the bullpen, and they are a good-looking team. They're firing <laughs> on all cylinders right now, and that ballpark is something else. That ballpark is really difficult to play <laughs> in. It is a, like you said, rabid environment. Mm. They they are ruthless. They will let you hear it, and that's what is interesting to me, how tonight's game will go with the Diamondbacks, just seeing how they respond for the first kind of gut punch, um, rib punch, and first fist to the jaw that they took in game one. I thought they battled back really nicely, but when it comes to the Phillies, yeah, it's hard not to just want to jump on that bandwagon right away. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of bittersweet watching it because it seems like uh, that's what the Jays could be or yep. maybe there was potential for mm-hmm. that. Uh, but I think that says something about like how teams are built and what they're being built for. Because Philly hasn't had like an immense amount of success in the regular seasons. Of course, you're one of the postseason. You're a good regular season team. But it does feel like to me that they're built to be a postseason team. Is there a difference between a uh, impeccably built regular season team and one that's going to have success more often than not, or more than it would in in the regular season or in the postseason compared to the regular season? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. You look at the horses that they have on the front end of their rotation. It's Wheeler, it's Nola. If you have two really big horses, you can maneuver a seven-inning uh, game easily. You can maneuver a seven-game series way easier with the day offs. You can pitch those guys multiple times. And then you just look at the length of the lineup. I mean, going down from Harper to Bohm to Castellanos to Real Muto. It's just length, length, length. And as a catcher, you're looking for breaks in that lineup, and there just really aren't any. Even their bottom three are really producing well. I, I, I look at a team like the Rays, and while they win a lot during the regular season and people love what they do, I, I never really sense that they're like built for – the postseason, yes, they went to the World Series and they lost in the World Series, but that's like one out of every 12 years. Some people would say that's a success, but Phillies are literally built from day one to compete in the World Series. And I think that's a testament to Dave Dombrowski and how he really designs the club. And yeah, I, I'm a fan right now. I'm a big fan of them. I don't know how you can't be. Uh, Bryce Harper last night mentioned his birthday, gets the home run, does the 31 candles, blows out the candle while he's running around the bases. I mean, you've seen a lot of home runs in your day. Is there a celly or a moment or a flaunt that you remember being like, damn, that was good? That one was pretty good. And he said uh, post-game that that was really impromptu, that he didn't think (laughs) about it until he hit third base, which 
I can't think that fast. Yeah. Um, no. But on. there's, I had an ex teammate, uh, Adam Jones. Mm. He had a tattoo of of his his uh, it was his late father maybe on his uh, left shoulder, and mm. every time he hit home plate, he would kind of tap the shoulder. Um, but honestly, this is going to sound like a big homer and, oh, you're just trying to win us over, but <laughs> Edwin's parrot was the it's best. Cool. Is, and really I was good. on it the opposing good. side yeah. of all these, like, no, not the parrot, not again. <laughs> but, like, watching him hang around second mm-hmm. base yeah. with the little chicken wing out, yeah. it was awesome. I thought that was still one of the most creative ones I've seen. So they have an amazing culture, right, Philly? Like, they've built something, and I think there's a lot of things that feed into it. The park, obviously, is unbelievable. That atmosphere creates that i think they're built as a team that hits home runs i think that's part of it um and they kind of all got collective attitude and i think that kind of trickles down from bryce harper but can you create culture without winning and did they have to kind of have some success and it was maybe a little unexpected last year uh before you can create that culture like if it's chicken and the egg what's got to come first Uh, winning or the culture yeah that's a great that's a really great question um a lot of times winning cures all and it just allows you to kind of be who you want to be naturally. What I will say about the fans in Philly, they kind of force you to have thicker skin and they're going to really put you in a spot where the best of you is going to come out or you're going to be out. And so to kind of have that chip on your shoulder, I'm not going to say Rocky mentality because they're not really the underdogs, but that kind of will just keep going, keep going, keep going. I think you can fake it till you make it up until a certain extent. You can kind of will some stuff into existence in sports, but you have to have successes at some point down the line or else you will reverse course and try and find a new way to trick yourself into thinking you're any good. So I think you go into spring training hoping and wishing for a certain mantra, hoping and wishing for a certain type of attitude that comes out. And when you win, it kind of solidifies that's who we are, and then you can start rolling. I've had teams where that happened. We're going to be the hardworking team, and we're going to be the team that's really tough to play against because we're not going to give anything up. And we were terrible on defense, and we gave up runs and extra bases over and over and over, and so it didn't work. But I've been on other teams that we actually played good defense, and then we we just were that team that was really tough to play against. It's almost like if you tell yourselves that you are something until you actually prove it, until you actually do it, it, it kind of falls short. Yeah. And I think maybe they were telling themselves they were that, and then all of a sudden they were, and then you can fully lean into it, right? And they're, they kind of got a little bit of a troll mentality. Uh, they're not going to let you, you know, like if they're going to talk, they're going to shove it right back in your face. And I think when you do that and success is attached to it, it just takes on a, like a whole different life form, right? No doubt about it. And their fans are that way too. They, if, if they get on a player and he doesn't succeed, they're just ramming it even harder down mm. that guy's throat. And you've got to have thick skin to play in Philly. But at the same time, when you produce, they'll get behind you so quick. Look at what they did with Trey Turner. I mean, the guy was basically hitting nothing. They gave him a standing ovation. I think Toronto fans, maybe try that one time. Yes. Maybe. It's not maybe maybe, like, maybe try it. Who knows? Um, and then the guy took off. So mm-hmm. it's a great environment, a fun environment. But, yeah, it, it's a great point. You, you've got to eventually step into what you want to be or what you're saying you want to be and actually be it. Because mentality in sports is such a big thing. Uh, when you believe you can step up there with a 130-yard shot into a green with a tough you know, back slope and, and you're on a downhill lie, like if you see the shot and you fully commit to it and execute it, then when you stand over it again, you know you mm-hmm. can do it. 
if you have all the right thoughts and all of the right processes, as everyone loves to say in sports now, mm. and you shank it into the bunker, next time you're over that shot, you're going to be thinking about something totally different. Maybe I should put my hands forward. Maybe I should lean forward. And it's not the same process. So it's a great question, chicken or the egg. But success usually covers all of the mistakes. So where do you think the Diamondbacks are at? They're 84 and 78 coming into this. It, it, it was a fun story to cheer for, but maybe they're seeing or we're seeing what separates the best from the rest a little bit. When you see a little bit of a divide between a Phillies team that we're so excited about with all this energy and all this proven success to a point, and the Diamondbacks almost are still figuring it out. Yeah, well, big giants fall hard too. Mm. Um, it's a story about David and Goliath, and I really see the Diamondbacks as kind of the David, the little guy taking on this absolute giant. And I was really impressed with how they fought back yesterday. Them getting hit in the mouth as early as they did with the very first pitch of the game going for a homer. About four pitches later, Bryce Harper sends one in. The crowd is ecstatic. They're going nuts. They could have folded, and that game could have been 10-0 after mm-hmm. the third inning. It could have easily been a blowout. They came and uh, marched themselves right back into that game. And I think they had the tying run uh, up at bat, like late ninth inning or so. Um, That shows a lot about who they are. And that's who they have to be because you look up and down that lineup and they're not a lineup full of superstars. But I played for Torrey Lovello in 2019 with Arizona, and he's a really good motivator. He loves playing that kind of underdog card. And he's really good at at promoting and and doing the things that you have to do well to be that underdog team. They're going to take extra bases. They're going to do all the little things correctly. And more more times than not, they're not going to beat themselves. Tonight is going to be a huge game for them. If they can find a way to steal one here, I think going back to Arizona, it it could easily flip. This series could very easily flip. So it's going to be how they respond in this game. And according to how they responded last game i think this is going to be a close game merrill kelly is a really good starting pitcher i caught him in 19 he's got good stuff Mm -hmm. they're going up against nolan nolan is vulnerable for the phillies and so this this could be a very important game i think if you look back and this is a seven game series this game will be the one you look back and say that gave the diamondbacks some momentum or that's where they crashed yeah it's easy to get swept up uh with the phillies right now but it is only one nothing in the series uh and it was a pretty good uh close out to the game if it didn't produce anything it got them back in the series feeling like they can have set some success uh at citizens bank park uh let's go to the american league uh for a second here and texas is on an unbelievable role and it's been a season of runs uh for the rangers pretty much all year i mean they were out to that amazing start they almost uh, you know, cost themselves a playoff spot. They do cost themselves the, the division in the end, uh, but they have found it again here uh, to start the playoffs 7-0 and to start. What is the differentiator for them? Their bullpen. The success of their bullpen has been by far their separator. That was their Achilles heel, Achilles heel during the entire regular season. I think they blew 32 saves. I mean, think about that. 32 saves they, they, they wasted. Yeah. And Jose Leclerc, he's he is a bit of a wild card. When he's on, ooh, there might not be anybody better. He is that good. The stuff is absolutely electric, but he can lose it in a snap of a finger. You're talking about a guy down in that bullpen as well, Chapman, who could lose it as well. Uh, Bruce Bochy has done such an amazing job with this club, not panicking throughout the entire mm-hmm. season. And sometimes you will adapt the mantra of your manager. There are times when... Things are really not looking good. And when you look up there and you see that manager and he's just even keel, steadying the ship, 
sometimes you will adapt that type of mantra and not panic because it's easy to want to panic, especially this day and age with all the social media and everybody's letting you know how bad you stink when you stink. It's hard not to feel like, man, we really do stink and we're never going to get out of this. And when you have a manager that is constant throughout the whole season, 162, that really bodes well. But by far, their bullpen and the way that they've been able to produce has been the separator. They scored a ton of runs. They're really good on defense. They've got just enough starting pitching to uh, to really hang them in there. But it just goes to show you, if you get hot at the right time, you never know what can happen. And people thought I was absolutely crazy when I was <laughs> when I was hopeful about the Jays. This is exactly what I thought the Jays could be. If they could catch fire for five or six straight days, they could ride that into a deep October run. The, the Rangers' season was up and down and up and down and up and down. They've caught fire at the right time. Yeah, seven and zero undefeated in the playoffs. Uh, pretty unbelievable stat. If they keep, if they keep doing it, they're going to keep breaking records. Only the Yankees in like nineteen nineteen have done uh, the full. I think it was ten Got to 12, 12 Got to twelve wins in a row. And I think it would be thirteen if they won the World. Oh, it was still a little ways so away. Break the record, but you're going to have to continue that run. <laughs> but they're on a good streak. Uh, that game's tomorrow. That'll be game three. Rangers are up two nothing right now. But tonight you'll have the NLCS game one. That's at eight p.m. That'll be on Sportsnet, of course. Uh, the game other two. side. Game two. Yeah, sorry, uh, game two. uh, That's on sports at 8 o'clock. Other side of the game tomorrow, Astros. feel like they've fallen short a little bit. They've been there. They've been at the big dance. They've won it. Maybe just we got so caught up in all the other fun storylines, we just maybe didn't give the Astros a lot of love, and they haven't been as impressive, but they're the team that you can't count out. No doubt. They have so much playoff experience. They have been there. They've done it. I think it was something Alex Bregman, seven straight, um, ALCSs? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> what? Wild. Some people don't make the ALCS in a 10-year career, mm-hmm. and he's this guy's just proven. But for me, the Astros, they're, they're always kind of the snake in the grass. Even when they had an up-and-down season this year, they all that experience just plays. And even being down 2-0, you still can't count them out. Everyone's counting them out except for the 26 or 30 guys in that clubhouse. The key for me for them is getting their top guys going. Obviously, Jordan Alvarez, who I think is the best left-handed hitter in the big leagues. Yes, I know there's a guy in L.A. called Otani, but I'm telling you, when I called pitches versus both of those guys, Alvarez was the guy that scared me the most. He's doing fine. It is Altuve. It's continuing to get a little bit more out of Bregman. It is, um, it's Tucker, and it's Abreu. Those, those four guys, I think... I think so far in this series, two or three for 40 or 41. It's not going to cut it. They've got, they've got to get some production from those big boys, and especially Altuve. If Altuve can get on, start to create some traffic for Alvarez, those solo shots turn into maybe two or three run homers. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the big inning. You're looking for a three spot, a four spot. And if he's going to hit them, he's got to hit them with guys on. Altuve's been a huge disappointment so far with the bat. And that's why they're in the position they're in. They they almost won game two. They were close, mm-hmm. but they didn't create enough traffic, didn't get the big hit when they needed to. Yeah, they got the hits from Alvarez, but as you mentioned, uh, not enough not enough guys on base uh, in order to make those really count. And it seems really important, like the guys you mentioned, right? Because if there's one big difference between the two teams, I think it's the bottom of the lineup. Like there's still maximum, not maximum, but really sizable impact at the bottom of the Texas lineup, and there's definitely less, so it puts more of the onus on those guys uh, at the top of the lineup for the Houston Astros to produce. Uh, I know you've been you know, fully immersed in the NL and the AL uh, CSs right now, and of course the playoffs to this point, but of course the Blue Jays had a pretty interesting month mm-hmm. as well. Uh, what are you still chewing on 
when it comes to the Blue Jays? Like, is there something that stands out, something that needs to change in terms of team building? Like, what is top of mind for you when you consider the Blue Jays, how the season ended, and what needs to happen this offseason? Watching these playoff games from the offensive perspective, because what the Blue Jays have done on the pitching side is phenomenal. Don't touch it. Don't even think about changing it that they have succeeded on that phase. That phase is tremendous. They've done a very, very good job. Offensively, what I've seen in the playoffs is a one through nine team approach. And I've heard it in two or three different interviews. Hey, we really didn't want to let a single fastball go by in the zone. I think Bryce Harper said that last night against Gallon. And that is, that's not one guy going rogue. That's a one through nine team approach. And when I think about that, when it comes to the Jays, Hitting is really difficult. Hitting is all about a couple things. Eliminating variables. And the variables are, what can we do to pin that pitcher into a corner and make him throw pitches that we collectively hit well? And then it's all about executing. Obviously, executing, now you're talking about more technical stuff in terms of swing paths and being on time and all those things. But when you have a one through nine approach, and I didn't see this very often with the Jays this year, when you have a one through nine approach, you can really start to push them into a corner. And that's how you get to these big boys. And it's how you sustain success on offense for long periods of time. We saw blips of it. Oh, there goes this guy. He's going great. There goes that guy. He's going great. He, there's a great series versus the Braves. Yes, the Jays swept the Braves. They, they look great. And then out of nowhere, it just craters. Mm-hmm. It's because, from in my opinion, it's not a sustained one through nine approach, night in, night out, depending on the guy they're facing. And until they get that, and I don't know if that comes from uh, players stepping up and taking uh, ownership of certain things or if there's other changes that need to be made. But until you have that, hitting is really difficult in the big leagues. you got to have one through nine really getting after it all at the same time. We're chatting with Caleb Joseph here in studio. Uh, last one for you because I know you got a busy night ahead. Um, we talk about how great the offseason was for the pitchers, right? They came in and it was a whole new bullpen. It was a whole new starting rotation. They need to kind of take that same approach this offseason with the offense, as you say. But, like, why is it so hard to make these changes in the season? They play 162 games, but it doesn't feel like those things stick. How important is the next X amount of months and what kind of work actually goes into making these changes? It might be personnel change as well. But to make a drastic difference like we saw with the pitching with the hitting this time. That's a great question. Sometimes you don't know where your weaknesses are in the cage in December when the ball's not moving or you have a controlled environment until you start to see certain pitches and you could be working on something and it looks great and then you get exposed during the season. And what's so tough about making in-game adjustments or in-season adjustments is you're still trying to perform. A lot of times when you're making changes, you don't want to tie... Uh, results to that. You want to be a process-driven, process-oriented <laughs> guy, right? I, I know it sounds funny, but you want to try and do the steps. Well, a lot of times guys will get to step one of, say, five, and they don't see the results, and they panic, and then they try and rearrange and refix certain stuff, which is why it's so important to have a really solid foundation coming into spring training. I'll take Matt Chapman, for example. Chapman had an unbelievable off-season He had a really good thought process coming into spring training. It didn't show in spring training, but the first month of the season, it showed up Mm -hmm. and he had it. And then certain things started to happen. They start to pitch you a little bit differently because the league is going to adjust. It's just how quickly you can adjust back without getting out of your entire uh, approach or the stuff that makes you who you are and who, who 
who, not who you, well, yeah, who you are and, and what, what you do well. And so what happens is you start to adjust things, and before you know it, you've lost what you were really good at. And Chapman was really good at hitting the fastball, and he was really good at using the, the big part of the field. And for some reason, I think he started looking breaking ball, and then I think he started trying to pull. And so you have this total flip, and it's like, well, why don't you just go back to hitting fastballs? Well, now your body is kind of in that trained motion of looking for certain things, and you have to go back to step one, which is trust process, trust your approach, trust this stuff. And if you don't have that success in the first game it's easy to revert right back to something that is more comfortable than something that you know is going to end up leading to success so it's it's a fine line trust me i know a lot about this because i spent my entire career trying to tinker and figure this stuff out because i was playing twice a week but it is a much harder to do during season because you're trying to produce while trying to make adjustments if there was no stats people would they would sell out they'd, yeah. they'd say for two weeks i'm doing this no matter what but at the end of the day, your stats is how you get paid, and you get paid by results, and guys are always chasing results. Well, big offseason ahead for the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll definitely get you on post off the postseason to make sure we chat about that. But we appreciate you coming in here and uh, enjoy the rest of the night. we got big games here on Sportsnet. Let's take a look at what's coming up um, on the network. We've got NLCS Game 2, Arizona and Philadelphia. Of course, Phillies with a one nothing lead after last night's uh, electric start for the birthday boy. Uh, that's on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. And then tomorrow night, 8 p.m., we'll have the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 360. Uh, it's going to be great. Tonight's game is also on Sportsnet 590. The fan after us, we're on till 7.30 on the radio. So lots to come ahead. Uh, we're excited. We got some cool stats about the Phillies home field advantage. Yeah. We'll bring that up later in the show, but it's pretty outstanding. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll definitely get to that later. I think there was one really interesting point there from mm-hmm. Caleb. What's being the Rays worth? Well, it goes, you go to the playoffs every year, which is what the Jays are obviously endeavoring mm-hmm. to do. Uh, but is it worth anything once you get there? And it kind of feels like the things the Blue Jays did last off season were Rays geared, right? Let's pitch, let's play yeah. defense. And maybe there is a cap on that because the teams that we see having the most success are the ones, you know, Texas putting like 11 runs up with re- regularity, the mashing that the Philadelphia Phillies have done so far. It just seems maybe there's a, a bit limiting if you just focus on those two areas. And I guess it was about optimization, but sometimes you just need to hit more home runs than the opposition. And I think that's what Philly and Texas are doing on what looks like a collision course to the World Series. Okay, so yesterday we had um, a Bryce Harper home run added later into the parlay, which should have been my Bet Rivers pick. So I'm thinking ahead this time. So time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. I'm not going baseball because I don't want to push my luck, but I am going with a revenge angle type game. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, anytime goal plus 200. He's going back to Winnipeg tonight. On the other side of the ice, and this guy has, a, I think there's a little bit of bad blood, to put it lightly. I think he might get booed in Winnipeg. Oh, but yeah. He's the type of guy that will kind of live for that. So you think and, so? I do think okay. so. I think he goes off uh, plus 200 tonight, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, anytime goal. Yeah, with the LA Kings in Winnipeg. Uh, I have like a revenge angle, I guess, but I'm not like taking a Matias mm-hmm. Ekholm anytime goal or point or anything like that. But he will be in Nashville with the Edmonton Oilers. I believe it's the first time. And of course, he had an illustrious career in Nashville. I, I think this is more about, you know, his team being a little... We've got a bit of a gur on, I think, the the Oilers Definitely. would be uh, at this point. After two losses to the uh, Vancouver Canucks to open the season, I think they're going to be a little salty. I think that's going to come at the expense of the Nashville Predators. So I got the Oilers 
on the puck line tonight. I believe that's plus 180 at Bet Rivers. Uh, I do think it's going to be a big explosive night for the Oilers, and they can, you know, honor Matias Ekholm at the same time. There you go. Um, okay, so that was that. That was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, lots to come on our show. We're going to shift over to Sportsnet 360. Going to chat with Joshua Cloak because we got some great big TFC news. Uh, Michael Bat- Bradley will be retiring. Mm-hmm. We will also be giving away TFC tickets later in the show to Michael Bradley's last ever game. Just happens to be that way. Um, we'll have those a little later in the show. Joshua Cloak will join us after the break from the Athletic Talk Maple Leafs and TFC. Um, all that's come on the fan pregame. Justin and Ailish on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And the Hawks do, and they look for a long breakaway pass, and they've got it. Up ahead, a shot scores! Corey Perry! There's the horn. Apparently, the game is over. And after two goals were called back, the final score is the Chicago Blackhawks 4, the Toronto Maple Leafs 1. All right, Connor Bedard 1, Maple Leafs 0. But there'll be more rematches, and we will get into the Maple Leafs. Uh, we're back on the fan pregame with Justin and Ailish on Sports at oh, 590, oh, the fan, oh, and Sports at 360. One for Connor Bedard. How many is that for Corey Perry, then? God, that guy, what's the, he's what's a leaf the killer. the scoreboard, Corey Perry versus the Maple Leafs? Many. Too many, to, too little. Yeah. That's the easiest way to put it. Uh, to cover that and the TFC, Michael Bradley retiring, is Joshua Cloak of The Athletic, Maple Leafs, and TFC. How's it going, Josh? Not bad. Is Corey Perry a Hall of Famer? That's what I've been wondering all day. I saw this on Twitter today, too. It was discourse, and I think, yes. Yeah, I think so, right? Yeah. Heart yep. Trophy winner. Yeah, it's the heart. The heart trophy does it. Yeah, Triple Gold Club, too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a couple, like, key pillars, I think, if it's a Hall of Fame candidacy. I'm, I'm up about the rule, though, like... You should know without hesitation, and I did hesitate yeah. for a because second. I think everyone's of, hesitating. It's because just it's a Corey bit. Perry, and you're not like woohoo, Corey Perry. I guess so. Although I'm admittedly kind of like I want to see Corey Perry wear the blue and white. I would love to see that, mm-hmm. uh, but instead he's just going to torment uh, the Maple Leafs. I think until the end of time. Yes, I think the Hall of Fame, and and we're getting off topic here, but this is something <laughs> I've always believed in. I think the Hall of Fame should accept maximum two people every year. I think it's turning into the Hall of Very Good. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, to, to be able to get into the Hall of Fame and, you know, become enshrined in history, like, I, I think we should be, like you, Cuthbert, I, I don't think we should be wondering about the person and, like, no disrespect to, you know, the, the careers of some of these players, but, like, you know, the Dino Cicerellis of the world, a, a fantastic player, but I just think there's a different tier I don't know. What do the kids call it? God tier? Is that a thing? Like this, that's kind of what we should be talking about. And I think he might get hurt a little bit by actually wanting and pursuing, you know, the latter stages of his career, if that makes sense. Because like Corey Perry could have been like, okay, that's the end of the contract that paid me very handsomely uh, with the Anaheim Ducks for a long time and won a cup and heart trophy Mm -hmm. and all these great things. 
uh, but he just loves hockey and continues playing. And I guess if you look at averages and you look at, you know, the impact on the last five, six, seven years of his career, like maybe it takes a little bit of the steam out of it and that's all a very good, but should we penalize guys for playing too long? I'm not really sure, but I'm kind of with you. Uh, I think maybe the doors should be uh, a little bit harder to get into, uh, but I prefer to debate the candidates that I know a little bit more of and, and getting a little older. That is definitely uh, the case now. Uh, let's get to the Leafs here, Josh. Uh, I want to start with William Nylander because as much as it's been about Austin Matthews scoring back-to-back hat-tricks, uh, at least before last night's game, I think Nylander, at least for Ailish and I in the press box on Saturday night, the wow moments for us were produced by William Nylander. Do you see a different guy out there on the ice for the Maple Leafs? I, I just see a guy who's playing with probably far more of a, a clear conscience than maybe we thought he would. You know, he's coming into the contract season you think back to like media day at the start of the season, the start of training camp, he was undoubtedly the biggest story, right? To have one of your, what, three best players entering into a contract year with, you know, it's, it's been a stalemate as, as far as I understand it. That's a huge story. And that's something that you would expect to kind of linger over him and linger over the team. But the opposite has been the case, right? I didn't think William Nylander could get any cooler. And I mean that like, I mean, he's he's really like friggin' cool, but I mean that just in the in the way he handles Toronto, everything around him. Some players are are, are built for this, and 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 William Nylander is, and you you just watch him the way he operates. He is playing with kind of a state of mind that you know William Nylander needs to be in to be at his best, which yeah. he just doesn't give. A, you know, he doesn't care about anything around him. And I think that's what's impressed me the most is that he's able to combine what he does on the ice with this, uh, you know, lack of, of it, uh, at least outward, a lack of genuine concern about the fact that, you know, a few months from now, he's going to be out of a contract. Yeah, it's uh, exciting to watch, but it leads you to the question of what's going to happen on that third line if Fraser Minton isn't going to be a fit there. Because William Nylander playing center was something we talked about a little bit in the offseason. He looks damn good and really happy where he is. But if Fraser Minton isn't the result and isn't the solution for that line, how do you think that they're going to be able to have three and even four impactful lines? Like, What kind of promotions or acquisitions need to happen to make this top six, top nine, more productive if Fraser Minton isn't the solution? It's tricky, right? And I think, you know, Fraser Minton, um, an incredible story, but I mm-hmm. think, you know, the more and more you watch him, the more you kind of think maybe quietly, like, it, wouldn't it be a little bit better if he went back to, to Cam Loops and dominated? Um, that's not to say he's had a poor three games mm-hmm. by any means. It's just that's kind of the way it's, it's trending. This is the issue, right? David Camp fits as a fourth line center, right? He, it, it, he was probably overplayed in the third line role. And then it kind of dries up though, right? Like, do you want to try Max Domi at center? I don't know. Not, not necessarily the way that he's been playing defensively to start the season. Do you want to go back to William Elander? Like that experiment ended pretty quickly. I think it's probably trending towards Pontus Holmberg getting a call up from the Marlies. Um, if only because he's the kind of player that Sheldon Keith trusts, right? You can put him out in, in defensive situations and he's not going to get on the highlight reel, but he, he's going to be trusted by the coaching staff. And, and that's probably what you need right now when the Leafs are still finding their game defensively. You know, is he ready for third line minutes? Does it mean David Camp moves up? I don't know. 
But I think Pontus Holmberg is, he's kind of the name that I have circled as, as one that, that will likely be called up sooner rather than later. Uh, Joshua Cloak of The Athletic on with us talking Leafs. And in a second, uh, Michael Bradley's announcement that he will retire at the end of the season. Uh, it's been an interesting start to the season for um, Matthew Nyes because we see that he's clearly NHL ready. He looks like a guy who's going to be a major part of this team, but he's also kind of getting lost in the shuffle and maybe through his association with Fraser Minton, uh, some of his, not minutes uh, curtailed, but maybe his potential impact curtailed just a little bit. So when you look at Nyes and you look at the rest of the season, what do you think he needs or what do you think Sheldon Keefe needs to do to get the best out of him? I think, and, and like, I, I hate to use this because it's cliche, but I just think, you know, you, you get one or two and the confidence comes from there. Like, we, when we think about Matthew Nyes, we think about the guy who a few months ago was coming off a fantastic season at the University of Minnesota, you know, made it to the, the NCAA championship. He was nominated for the Hobie Baker. Like, he was one of the best college players in the country. And so he was coming into Toronto with, again, just riding that high of confidence. And you could see that in the way he played. There was so much energy in the way he played because he was not just in mid-season form, like late-season form. And I'm not saying like the layoff was a bad thing, but I think, you know, he just had a chance to come back down to earth. And now he's kind of realizing this is what it's like. There's, there's training camp, there's preseason. It's long to start with. Um, you know, there's going to be travel. And I think he, we're, we're just seeing his foot off the gas a little bit. And so I think he just needs to, we're using all these cliches here, but just ramp it back up. And we just need to see him, you know, get another, get a goal, get a, get a few goals and start kind of, you know, realizing or, or reminding himself that he could play at this level. Because again, the knives that we saw at the end of last season is probably not the knives that we're going to see throughout this entire season. I think he's just realizing that there's, there's ebbs and flows to the season and it's not always just going to be like intense playoff hockey, which I think he thrives on. Um, So it's just going to be a matter of him, you know, finding his confidence, getting going. And I I think then we're probably going to see that, that Matthew Nyes that we saw in April. Uh, last least one for you here, Josh. Uh, you wrote a great article about another youngin, uh, Joseph Wall, and uh, that's up on The Athletic. Everybody should take a look at it because I thought it was really enlightening about a guy that's a little bit more to himself and, and, and a bit of a youngin that has a different story in the NHL clearly at this point. What did you learn about this new face on the Maple Leafs who clearly wants to make a full season impact as well and his travels this summer were a really fun thing that he documented in the article as well? Yeah, wants to, and I, I think he might. Like, I, I'm I'm getting pretty close to pushing all my chips in on Joseph Wall because what I see from him on the ice, and like, yeah, so he let in three last night, but I'm seeing a guy who can swallow pucks really easily. I'm seeing a guy that's going to be in his rookie year but doesn't look like a rookie. He looks composed, he looks calm, and he looks ready to handle. Again, we talked about this with Nylander. You know, everything that Toronto, just as an environment, throws at you. But yeah, Joseph Wall, I had a chance to, to talk to him a few times throughout training camp. And, you know, I find it really interesting figuring out what guys do in the summer because this is when they're in their comfort zone and this is when they can kind of be themselves. And I think it reveals a little bit about who they are and what makes them tick. And Joseph Wall kind of went a little bit Aaron Rodgers and that he went off the grid. You know, he spent two weeks hiking around 
uh, Mont Blanc in the Alps, mm-hmm. just on his own, no phone. And he literally told everybody he knows, like, if you want to find me, you can't. Um, <laughs> and he, what what I did find interesting, though, too, I was like, wow, you, you must have had some, you know, realizations about your time in the playoffs and playing for the Leafs. And he's like, I didn't think about hockey once. And I think he was able to feel that way because he knows I'm not battling for a spot anymore. I'm a Leaf now. And again, we, we keep using this term, but for young players, confidence is everything. And to feel like you belong coming into the season and not feel like you have to fight for a spot, that's going to allow you to play at your best. And I think that's why we're seeing him so composed. Um, because again, like we've all been there where you go away on holiday and you're thinking about work the whole time. You're stressing about it. Because you you have lingering questions about your job, right? What am I coming back into when I come back from holiday? If he was able to get away from that and not do that, I think that's kind of why we're seeing, you know, the best version of Joseph Wall to start the season and why, you know, the Leafs should probably feel good about their tandem right now because I don't know about you guys. I would feel okay if I had to trust Joseph Wall for three, four, five games in a row right now. Uh, speaking of vacations, I guess it's unlimited now for Michael Bradley. He can do uh, as he pleases now that he's decided to retire after 10 seasons with TFC and a lot of success. Um, it, it's an interesting one because Michael Bradley's name in the Toronto sports market right now, maybe not the one that's looked the most fondly over, but to you, the legacy's pretty clear, right? Yeah, I, 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 as soon as he announced his retirement... I thought about this and I I had a thought and then I was kind of, you know, texting some people at the club and texting some people that know him and had coached him and been around him. And I said, should I feel this way? Like, I'm kind of like, I I have this thought and everybody that I, you know, got in touch with was like, no, I agree with you. Like for me, if we're talking about modern Toronto sports, right. In the last 30 years, you know, the greats to me are, you know, Robbie Alomar, Vince Carter, Austin Matthews. And for me, if we're talking about the best athletes in Toronto sports history, Michael Bradley has to be on that list. If you value Toronto FC as a club on par with the Raptors and the Leafs and the Jays, which you should, Michael Bradley has been by far the most important person in revamping that club from an afterthought, a joke in the beginning of of their time in MLS to again, let's not forget they for they were in MLS Cup three out of four years at the end of the decade, and they don't get there without you know Michael Bradley's first of all the way he was able to dictate possession on the pitch with Greg Vanny like you know a possession based system and two the way he was able to raise the standards you know training performance um, nutrition everything off the pitch that's so important he was able to come in and and completely overhaul the way things operated at Toronto FC. He did that in a very, in a manner was a very, you know, demanding of his teammates. Yes. Teammates will tell you that, but if Toronto FC were very good at all, it was because of him. They do not win MLS cup in 2017 without him. Like I, I, that was my story after MLS cup in 2017, like Michael Brass. Did we lose Josh? We might have lost Josh. We may have lost Josh. That's. I, I think it's an important reminder. Uh, and uh, I guess we could work to get him back, but it's probably not that oh, big of okay. a deal, uh, given that he was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty detailed in his answer in mm-hmm. terms of legacy. But it is an important reminder because last few years, and especially this year, 
have not been good for TFC, have not been good for mm-hmm. Michael Bradley. And, of course, his father comes in, he's the manager, and there's some infighting, and there's a lot of drama, and Josh deal- detailed all that at The Athletic as well. But we are only a couple years removed from MLS Cups, and we are only a couple years removed from TFC winning the MLS Cup with Michael Bradley being a huge part of it. And there's been waves of impact, right? Bloody big deal and all these kind of, you know, different things that TFC has tried. Well, the most successful thing that they tried was bringing in Michael Bradley to just be the center of everything. And, you know, it hasn't been great for him. It hasn't been great for the club. He's clearly on the back nine or has been on the back nine for the last couple of years. And that should not, though, cloud what actually happened uh, because he's a big part of the city's sports history as much as you want to include TFC in the sports history. And that's for everyone else to decide. But if you are including TFC as a major, major part of it, there have been few players, if any, more important than Michael Bradley. And it kind of feels like it's coming at the perfect time. John Herdman's about to actually coach in his first home game here this upcoming weekend, which is the time that Michael Bradley will also retire. And so with that being said, it is kind of the perfect meshing of maybe two different timelines. John Herdman's getting an opportunity to maybe start fresh and have a new voice and a new team. And Michael Bradley, that that holding on to the past, is on his way out. And uh, I, I think that this, I mean, this Saturday is going to be a pretty big game. We will be giving away tickets for that as well later in the show. I think we're going to we're going to work um, on getting Josh back actually for a second. He just wants okay. to wrap up his thoughts here. Um, you let us know when he's on. Uh, but it is, it's interesting to think about if this is maybe the right time for these timelines to converge and go on their own direction because TFC had a pretty brutal season. It really couldn't have got much to worse. Mildly. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't have got much worse. This offseason is going to be a lot about what, what they can do to move forward, and that might come at the same time as saying goodbye. Uh, Joshua Cloak's going to join us one more time here. Josh, sorry about that. Not sure what happened, but we'd love to get your thoughts just uh, uh, wrapping up um, a little bit on the, the Herdman decision as well, like having him come in. Maybe it's the right time uh, for these two things to kind of converge and go their own separate direction. Does, does John Herdman get an opportunity to have a blank slate and start fresh with a team that really only has one way to go, and that is up? Yeah, blank slate is the right way to put it. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if come the start of next season or midway through next season, like there's one or two players from this year's roster Mm. on next year's roster. My understanding is John Herdman has the freedom or has been given the freedom to to complete a a, a total overhaul of the roster in the way that he sees fit. Um, You know, there's a few players that I would think are indispensable, and I would put Jonathan Osorio at the top of this list. Like, if we're talking... You know, club mm-hmm. heroes, I, I, you know, Jonathan Osorio is there and he has a relationship with John Herdman. Obviously, the big questions are going to be what happens with the two Italian designated players. Um, I mean, it's been we've we've documented <laughs> everything that's happened with this, these two. And we're, we're, we're laughing, but like it's been that kind of season. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me. If, you know, these two players, um, you know, start to look for outs, they're continually linked with with clubs. The rumor today was Juventus being interested in in acquiring Bernadeschi on loan. Um, I think it would probably be good for for Herdman to to get that that blank slate and have that total freedom. Um, Because, you know, John is at his best, uh, and this is my opinion, but John is at his best when he's working with players that are sometimes overlooked and building them up into something bigger than I think they they thought they could be, and so maybe that's a, a, a you know a club full of players that again have been overlooked or young players, right? I don't know how well 
his approach, his kind of rah-rah motivational approach can work with players that have won the Euros, right? I, I, I don't know. I, mean, I could be wrong, right? But I think that's when John is at his best because you look at the players that he really built up on the men's national team, right? The Alistair Johnstons, the Kamal Millers, players that were overlooked and he helped turn them into something bigger. Uh, I would put Richie LeRae in that group as well. So that's kind of where I envision the roster going. It's TFC, so they're going to spend. They're going to spend big, but I think John would want some input on on how they spend. So it, that would that would point towards the Italians kind of being on the way out. But we'll see. It, it might be harder to move them than we think, considering you know how kind of loaded their contracts are, and especially how poorly they performed this season too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it could be the end of an era and the beginning of a new one um, at the end of this upcoming season. Uh, at the end of the season, we have a lot of, I'm sure, off-season discussions to be having and can't wait to see what you have um, at The Athletic on both sides, TFC and Maple Leafs to come. Uh, appreciate you jumping back on, Josh, and we'll definitely chat down the road. Anytime, guys. Take care. That's Josh Cloak of The Athletic, Maple Leafs and TFC. Um, we said Michael Bradley's impact is is one that is lengthy, just played in his 300th appearance for TFC uh, across all competitions. He started with Columbus Crew on August 26, 2023. Um, he became the second player in club history to make 300 appearances for TFC. 19 goals through 308 appearances in all competitions is the only TFC, TFC player who has played every minute of every MLS Cup playoff game in club history. Probably retire his jersey number. Yeah, I think so. And a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of trophies, uh, which are the most important thing as well. But yeah, uh, it's important, it seems. Not that the Michael Bradley career ends, but that John Herman can put his stamp on things. And I don't know if it's going to include the Italians. I guess they're under contract. It may include one and not the other, vice versa, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. If there's interest from Juventus, well, these still are high-caliber players, uh, I, I suppose. And maybe it can work with them. But you're right. Uh, the only place they can go is up, but how fast and how quickly do you want to make that happen? And does it include designated players and a whole lot of spending? Or does this team have to look uh, a little bit more, you know, look past that, look past what is shiny and try to fix it from the bottom end? Because I think that's really, as much as the Italian thing has been largely a disaster to this point, I mean, you can't just depend on designated players every year to come in and change everything and make you a dominant club. I know it's worked for Inter-Miami to a certain extent, but you have to have what the teams at the top of the table have, which is, you know, grassroots players coming and developing and getting better as a team rather than just, hey, what free agents can we grab here uh, to try and change the fortunes of this club? I think they have to look at themselves internally, and hopefully John Herman can lead that charge. Okay, so we mentioned it. We're giving away TFC tickets in the 7 o'clock hour. So stay with us on Sportsnet 590, the fan, for the code word for that because it's now the hottest ticket in the city at the end of Michael Bradley's reign on TFC. And we'll see John Herman with his first opportunity on home field to coach TFC. Just a little overlap. So you can be in the, in, in the building. You can cheer both on. Uh, we'll give tickets away in the next section. Uh, but we want to talk about something that we teased when Caleb Joseph was here about the Phillies and their home field advantage because we've got a massive game tonight, of course, uh, 8 p.m. NLCS game two. Phillies took game one last night, and that ballpark is something special. I am envious of being at that ballpark. And it might be one of the greatest home field advantages in all of sports. Citizens Bank has some sort of magic voodoo juju for the Phillies. I don't even think it's magic. It's just atmosphere that the fans provide. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, do, I don't even want to, like, uh, credit the spirits. I want to credit <laughs> the people that inhabit that ballpark and make it the vibe that it really is. 
And so the vibe that it is is proven by numbers as well. The Phillies have moved to 27 and 11 in home playoff games since the team began playing at Citizens Bank Park, and that's in 2004. This postseason, of course, they're 5 and 0. In the last two postseasons at home, they are 11 and 2, and those two losses were in the World Series. That is absolutely. I don't even know if that's replicated anywhere across home field, home rink, home court advantage. It is something extremely special, and they take advantage of it, and they feed from that fan base and provide even more for them to cheer. It is just like this give and take, and it's it's something special. Yeah, it really is, and I think the team, is, as we discussed with Caleb Joseph, is geared towards the playoffs, mm. geared towards getting people excited. It's just a whole bunch of bangers that hit home runs out of (laughs) Citizens Bank Park, which I think definitely helps things. I will say in addition to the park, which they have, which they probably hold advantage over everyone right now, because we we looked at the splits for the Houston Astros and they struggle or have Mm -hmm. struggled this season at home and want to get out onto the road, which they will in the ALCS soon. It's the slotting for Philly, which is important too. If you come in that first wild card and you get an opportunity to beat up at Citizens Bank Park, on the lowest postseason mm-hmm. entry in the NL. And then, yeah, you got to deal with the Atlanta Braves. But the Atlanta Braves are cold. You get to go to them and then immediately bring it back home after two games. You take one of those games, which they did, and all of a sudden Atlanta is in this hostile environment, cold for the most part, mm-hmm. into the postseason. I just think, like, everything seems to be working in Philly's favor, ballpark, and I think where they finished in the regular season included. Okay, that's on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan, of course, at 8 p.m. We're on for another half hour on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. To get you teed up for that, as Caleb Joseph put it earlier in our show, it could be the game he thinks that's going to determine everything. If the Diamondbacks can edge their way back into it, maybe that gives them the right momentum. But if the Phillies take a 2-0 lead, it could be over. They could be meeting the Rangers, who are already 2-0. But if it's anyone that you don't want to count out, it's the Astros. I'm already ready myself for (laughs) Phillies-Rangers. It's what I want to see. It's what I think we'll see. Uh, My fingers remain crossed. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll be back on Sportsnet 590 The Fan for another half hour. And we're chatting a little Leafs and a little bit of TFC giveaway. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Pregame. Sportsnet 590, the Fan, Justin and Ailish for the next half hour before we throw it to NLCS Game 2, Arizona and Philly. That will be on Sportsnet 590 Fan and across Sportsnet TV Network as well. Uh, we told you how good that home field advantage is, and it's going to be something to watch tonight and listen to. Uh, but we saw the Maple Leafs drop their first game of the season. <sighs> the sky is falling. As Connor Feel Bedard, Connor Bedard gets the upper hand on the Maple Leafs last night at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, yeah, he did uh, in the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks, it, it's like a weird little connection. I guess oh, it was you're the starting two- to believe in the Blackhawks. No, 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 eh? no, 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 no belief, no, 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 no belief, no, no, no. not just yet. Uh, let them spend their money first uh, this off season, and uh, we, we can talk. Uh, but there's a little connection because the two Kyles love to love to deal, right? And uh, Peter Mrazek and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it hasn't been the greatest start for the Leafs. It's kind of been shrouded uh, by the brilliance of Austin Matthews and I guess William Nylander as well. Um, the fact that those two have been so, so good 
has covered up for some issues. And I think predominantly those issues are keeping pucks out of their own net. And this is, you know, we see this most of the time to start seasons. You bet the overs because there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of goals scored when there are a lot of mistakes in hockey. Um, but the guys that have come in that Brad for Living has put a lot of trust in have been, you know, maybe holding more than their fair share of those issues. Uh, so I think it is interesting to, like, look at the changes, look at what this team is through three games and see if we can, like, decipher anything that's real or that's going to be problematic in the months to come. Okay, so we will do just that in a segment called I Know It's Early, But... dot dot dot. So we're prefacing, folks, that we know it's early, okay? But and we can, like, apply this to November. We, we, can, know it's, we could do this. We know it's November, but... Yeah, we, we could do it in another couple of weeks. It's we know still it's early. March, but... We know there's lots of games to be played, but you can only analyze what you've seen, and it's been three regular season games. And with that being said, I do think that 13 goals against in three games is not good. I think that that is something you and all the goaltenders, well, both, uh, Samsonoff and Wall, have kind of said, you know what? I want to flush that one. I want to move on from that one. And you get to say that a few times, but you don't get to say that for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. Samsonoff, for me is one of the biggest points of emphasis when I watch early season hockey. I mean, there's obviously a lot of defensive zone structure that they need to figure out. They're still working on power play this. They're working on getting their first three lines in cohesion. But the goaltender's job is the same always. It is to stop the puck and to feel steady and safe in his net. And Samsonov, when he starts running around, you see him sliding around. I feel like I see glimmers of Samsonov from the past, which was what I thought was like a non-confident Samsonoff, right? Yeah. And that makes me a little nervous. The Samsonoff that didn't want to play Washington to start last year was a little little that nervous one, about it. Yeah. That one. And he is the guy right now that has control of the net in his hands. Last year when he came in as a Maple Leaf with Matt Murray, it was kind of, oh, we'll see. Maybe they'll challenge each other for the net. He has it right now. But Joseph Wall is coming up hot. He's what everyone is talking about. Every hot take and every future take is that, that I see is that Joseph Wall will be the, the game one starter in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the Maple mm-hmm. Leafs. I've seen that on everyone's Twitter feed. Cassie Campbell last night on Sportsnet said the same thing. Like, it is a real consideration that people are having. And not just because he's young and it's a fun take to have, but because he has the ability to challenge Samsonov. So Samsonov right now has got two starts, hasn't been the greatest. It's early, but I have a little bit of concern of where Samsonov's going in this the wrong direction at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think it's fair to have most of that concern uh, devoted to the Samsonov side because if anything has been an issue for him, it's been consistency, right? Like he's had moments and he's had spells where he's looked like a dominant goaltender that you could really rely on in big spots. On home ice, he's been very, very good. He's been one of the best ever in terms of victories, and which is mm-hmm. the most important thing, on home ice to start a career uh, with the Maple Leafs. So there are a lot of good things, but those good things, they're kind of well in the rear view. Like when's the last, I know it's been a complete off season, <laughs> but we've seen a bit of a, a problematic start to the year. Like has not been good through two starts. He was not good in the preseason. Mm-hmm. He was not good at the end of last year's playoffs. And there were moments late in last year's regular season that were a bit iffy as well. So it's not like it's top of mind the high-level Samsonov. We haven't seen it in a little while. And it's something that he's going to have to show again because he's not at a point in his career 
where we can just bank on it happening. He's on Vasilevsky. He's still trying to prove himself. Yeah. He really hasn't proved himself as anything mm-hmm. in terms of being an NHL goaltender. He still has to define himself in pretty much every single way, and he's using an important season in order to do that with the Maple Leafs. The Joe Wall thing, like, yeah, I think he was fine last night. I, I think the Leafs have a really quality backup. But did I see anything last night? I was like, wow, I re- like we really need to see him playing over the Ely Samsonov. No, not yet. It's mm-hmm. too early, so it's not fair to say, hey, that can't happen. But when it comes to the goaltending, there's just very little to latch onto other than, hey, Joe Wall might be the guy. Maybe it's possible that he yeah. could be the guy, and you're kind of holding on to that. But for both goaltenders, we got to see it first. We got to see it from Samsonov in terms of results and consistency. And from Wall's standpoint, we got to see a guy that's ready to take the job. And I don't think we've seen really anything yet. Okay, so it's early, but a little bit of concern there. Uh, what's your first it's early, but? I think that Max Domi isn't a fit. Oh, that's, I guess, the I hot know, take. It's I early, know. but uh, I just don't know if I've seen it yet. And we saw Max Domi and Sheldon Keefe have a discussion on practice ice mm-hmm. before the Chicago game. We saw up in the press box on Saturday night, like a brutal giveaway. We're like, oh, that's, that's, that's beer league. That's a beer league play in the offensive zone where you're just hoping because you don't want to move your feet that someone might be cutting back door uh, because it would look brilliant if someone was there. But if not, it's going the other way. And protection of the puck in the offensive zone is something that Sheldon Keefe cares about. And maybe it's something that Max Domi is still wrapping his head around. But I just don't know immediately where he fits. I think we're going to see spells of Max Domi where he's very physical and he's standing up for his teammates. He's scoring big goals. And I think there's going to be a lot of good. It may come. Later on in the season, it may come in the playoffs. I do think it's going to happen, but is it going to be a smashing hit for 82 games? Is he going to have maximum max impact over 82 games or even large stretches of an 82-game schedule? I'm not really sure. I guess the first step is finding out who he should play with, and I think Sheldon Keefe really hasn't even had made any inroads there. Like I don't know, and I don't think Sheldon Keefe knows, the best spot for Max Domi. He's got to get into a line. He's got to prove it. He's got to show it. He's got to give us some of that good Max Domi or this is going to morph into something. And right now he's kind of floating around and uh, that's not where you want to be as a newcomer on a team. I think that leads to my my similar thing about it's early, but this cohesion isn't there on the bottom six, right? It's It's a bit of a misfit collection of hockey players that are all kind of trying to prove their own thing. Like, just think about that line that was Domi, Minton, and Nice. They're all playing in a little bit of a different headspace, right? Frazier Minton's trying to make this team, like, real real deal, not get sent back down in nine games. Max Domi is trying to figure out his fit with the Maple Leafs and not live in his father's shadow. He's been this big storyline coming into the season. It's Max Domi. He's going to bring all this grit, and he's a, he's a good hustler. He could score goals. And I feel like he's still trying to figure out what his impact is. And then you have Matthew Nyes, who clearly should be playing with a little bit better players, I think. He needs to be given kind of a chance to cook. But Joshua Cloak brought up a great point when he just had him on, is that maybe he isn't always going to be that guy, right? Maybe the Matthew Nyes we saw of the final stretch of last season isn't isn't going to be a Matthew Nyes of 82 games. So you look at that line in general and it's it's kind of messy. The bottom the, the bottom line the, the fourth line kind of has its own fit. So that misfit third line isn't really working. And I think Sheldon Keefe is going to have a little bit of time to figure that out, but at the same time the big question is that Fraser Minton role, right? If he isn't going to stick around past 9 games, what is the solution? I think that's what my it's early but is this might just not be the right 
combination of players on the bottom six. And that is something you can't fix easily. I know Pontus Holmberg's name was tossed out there, but it's Pontus Holmberg, right? Like, I, I, I'm, he's not moving the needle for me to be a bottom six centerman or a third line centerman that's going to fix the way that this Maple Leafs lineup is currently constructed. Yeah, it would put a lot more onus, especially on Max Domi, if he's playing on a third line. It's like, hey, uh, there's not really much going on other than you, so you've got to stand out. You have to give us something. I guess he would have Matthew Nyes maybe on on that sort of line. But you're right. I I think from, you know, there's parts of the middle six that look like they're pretty concrete. Uh, Nylander and Tavares have had a great start together, I think. Um, but clearly there's a lot that has to be settled. And I think it does start with the third line center position. And I think you can have a place holder in a guy like Pontus Holmberg and still be a good hockey team and still have a productive middle six. But I do think change has to happen. I do think an addition probably has to happen for you Mm -hmm. to have an optimized roster, for you to have a roster that you think can win a Stanley Cup. But I do think having the solution be as black and white as it is, like they just need an impact tops or, or middle six center mm-hmm. to really unlock this group, to have a lineup that you that you feel good about. I, I do think it's almost as simple as that. I think you could say the same about the defense core. They need a left shot defenseman, in my opinion. And if you can go out and shop, and maybe there's an injury or whatever it, 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 it you need in order to get enough money to make those deals, I think it's doable. I think you can add two bodies. We saw eight guys come in for Kyle Dubas last year. So I think the task is pretty simple. It's just the fix isn't going to be immediate. And there's going to have to be, whether it's internal improvement or internal uh, promotional uh, uh, situations, whatever it has, whatever it must be, it has to work in the short term. And I think it can, but I don't think it's going to work with Frazier Minton and they're going to have to find a different solution. Don't you think that Nyes needs something different too? Or is that expectation a little bit too high for him? He looks so... And maybe it's the problem is I'm comparing him to Fraser Minton. They're similar in their sense of like their experience in the NHL, clearly. But Matthew Nyes looks different. He looked great last year when he came in. There was so much excitement about Matthew Nyes. And now I'm like, okay, do something. You know, like put him in a spot where he can do something. Get yeah. his confidence going. But at the same time, like, are you messing with the top two lines to put... Matthew Nye's in there. Well, I, I think that's kind of key. Like, I, I was a little surprised that Callie Yarncroke got that promotion to the Matthew second Nyes. line and not Matthew yeah. Nye's. M- maybe it's like, okay, between Nye's, Nylander, and Tavares, uh, do we have enough defensive conscious? Mm. Well, I don't think you had it with Max Domi uh, no. as you started. That's why he season. got demoted. So that's why he got demoted. I mean, I, I think, I think the f- not the fix, because I don't know what, where it leaves your third line. Like, I don't know how a Domi, Minton, mm. Yarncroke line Oof. looks. Like, I almost think... Nyes is a stabilizer on the third line, and he might be needed in order for Minton to be able to be in this lineup. There's a lot for a kid that's played 10 NHL games too, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. But to get more out of Nyes, I, I think it's simple. If he, he's, he's promoted into the top six, I think you're going to have a guy that's going to maybe help the others, but in addition to that, and maybe more importantly, be helped out and be in more positions to have that impact in the offensive zone because I do think that he's having a really positive effect. It's just... Who's he working with and how much of a impact can he have in a silo? And that's kind of, I think, where Matthew Nyes is operating right now. I got a positive one yeah. because it's been kind of negative to start. It's a 2-1 record for well, Maple Leafs. Know. Some exciting hockey, two hats. It's early, to start. but you could be negative. <laughs> I'm going to go with William Nylander. And my, I know it's early, but is that he's a top 10 forward in the league. What say you? 
I'm so bad with rankings. I'm like, let me think. Okay, of let me not, get, let me I'm, give I'm you like, like some let obvious me give ones. You nine better forwards. Let, let me count at least five, six: McDavid, okay. Matthews, Drysaitel, McKinnon, Drysaitel. McKinnon. Are you still putting Kucherov there? That's five. He's not. I guess he's not better than Kucherov, but you know, Crosby, Kaprizov, Marner. We're getting close to ten. What but if we're Hughes going like kids? if we're going like way down, if we're getting into like the 15, 16, 17, and we're talking Miko Rantanen, mm. not fifty. Sorry, uh, at the end of uh, that top ten, like I think there's a possibility yeah. in terms of impact and in terms of what we've seen through three games that uh, that William Nylander could be a top ten forward in the league this year. I mean, he's a com- he looks like a completely reinvigorated hockey player this year. I don't know what the off season plan was. How much he stared at his bank account and thought, I'd love another 10 mil in here. Like, I don't know what it was that motivated him, but he is a completely different presence, it feels like. He's bigger, he's faster, he's composed, he's poised. But it's still the Willie question is, how consistent can that be? It is early. It's been three games, and he's been one of the best players in the league, right? But the problem we always have with William Nylander, the question is always, like, can he sustain that? And no one's going to sustain Austin Matthews back-to-back hat tricks. William Nylander scoring highlight real goal after highlight real goal. So what can he do over an 82-game sample size is where you solidify that you're a top 10 player in this league. Big David doesn't have off weeks. He has off nights. He doesn't have off stretches, right? That's what's the difference is between making it a top 15 to a top 10. And so if he's found something, unlocked something, and motivation that he never had before – a drive to shut people up or just the lack of caring about what other people think. Whatever he has now, he needs to find some consistency because that's what's going to make him worth every single dollar but also make this Maple Leafs team reach their goals. He's he's so valuable this season more than he ever has been. I think mo- the most accurate, hey, he's in this category or he's in this very, very elite tier. Is he a top five winger in the league? Is he a top 10 offensive winger in this league is he a top 10 weapon in this league like if you look at sort of his comparables and this is dangerous when we're talking contract Mm -hmm. but he's a winger and what other elite wingers are in the league well you got yeah you know like johnny gaudreau jonathan huberdeau like guys who have put up a lot of points but don't have that center ice function which may or may not be too much for william nylander but when we're talking about that like kind of specific category where it's just an offensive weapon Mm. I mean, I don't know if there's many that are above him. So I think you'd always take those centers, the Jack Hughes, Connor McDavid, mm-hmm. uh, Leon Dreisaitl, Austin Matthews. You're always going to default to those guys, Sidney Crosby, because yes. they really are the best of the best. But if we're talking wingers, we're talking his position, top 10 at his position, William Nylander, I don't really think that's that big of a stretch. Mm-hmm. And we do know that that means money and, and contracts mm-hmm. and, and, and obviously the repercussions of that. But uh, he's had a tremendous start, and he looks like he's taken a step forward. And that can only mean good things for the Maple Leafs if William Nylander is a top 10 weapon, at least on the wing, this season. Okay, um, let's just get one or two more in. Um, It is early, but the Ryan Reeves contract is worth it. Worth it? Worth it. Money-wise... I understand the Maple Leafs are up against the cap and they're literally cutting costs in every shape, wave, form to make sure they can fit everybody in. But I believe that there's something that we won't understand in that locker room for what Ryan Reeves does for this team, what he does as a presence on the bench, on the ice, in the locker room, to the guys. And they are quick to mention that too. When Matthews, when Marner, when anyone's asked about Ryan Reeves, like they want to talk about his 
his presence and what he's brought to this team. The debate, that, and the reason I bring this up is because over Twitter the last couple of days, a lot of people have been looking at his, like, course he's expected goals for, his plus minus, and he, that he wasn't brought in to be a guy that is contributing, you know, 60 points a year. You kind of have to understand his role is a fourth-line guy who's going to punch people when needed and give a level of toughness to this team, whether it's by showing it or by saying it. And I feel like we've seen it. There's been three fights in three games for the Maple Leafs. That is something we have never seen before. And they're not just fights to fight. Like they are, hey, I'm going to stand up for someone or I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for something that I delivered. Like I, I, got, I, I made a wrong hit. I'm, I'm going to fight someone for it. I'm not going to push this off. I just feel like they look like a different team in terms of the aura around them. And it is three games. This is the point of this, this segment. I know it's early, but... Right now, if Ryan Reeves has already made this impact, I'm all on board the Ryan Reeves train. Yeah, I mean, life's too short to worry about what the extra $35,000 that he's making uh, um, or, you know, losing Sam Lafferty. Like, I'm going to defer to fun here. And it's been fun having Ryan Reeves be a member of the Maple Leafs. It's been fun watching him have... you can have, have... A vibes higher. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I get, like... The, my one, like, big change from the Maple Leafs this year is that they are just more fun. It might just be, hey, you're, if you're a lot more entertaining, does that mean you're perfectly suited to win a Stanley Cup? I don't know. But the team that was trying to break even and be boring and have everyone else just play a defensively responsible brand, well, that wasn't winning Stanley Cups either. So I don't know if he's going to be the difference between the Leafs winning a Stanley Cup or going to an Eastern Conference final or whatever it may be. But I do know I that he's made trying. the first three games more entertaining because he beefed with Corey Perry and fought Marcus Foligno <laughs> and fought Arbor Jacki and got the championship belt from Austin Matthews. And I am in it for content and I am in it for fun and entertainment. Exactly. And I do think and believe that it's been worth it just for that alone. You can sit him when you want to uh, later on in the season when the games matter a little bit more. You can... Bring in another addition mid-season to replace him if you really need to do that. Uh, I just feel like there are worse, there are other things to really, really stress about right now. Yeah. And Ryan Reeves soaking up a little bit more money on the fourth line than he probably should is not high up on my list. Okay, and I uh, certainly agree with that one. We've teased this long enough. Let's give away our TFC tickets, and then we have a new segment with producer Double segment. Mike to throw in here. Double um, segment. We got TFC gift, get a giveaway for our listeners today. This time for Saturday's matchup against Orlando City SC, 6 p.m. at BMO Field. We already know that this is a special one. Michael Bradley's last game, John Herdman's first one here in Toronto. You can't ask for much more. So to enter for a chance to win these tickets, text the code word Orlando to 59590. Again, today's code word is Orlando. Text that into 59590 right now for your chance to win tickets to Saturday's game. If you don't win with us, you can secure your tickets at ticketmaster.ca. More details at sportsnet.ca slash 590. The code word is Orlando. Best of luck. There we go. Okay. Printer pass. Please explain, producer Mike. Yeah, I'm dating myself here. Print is like, like sending it to the printer. There was like, paper? Like, like, people used to read newspapers many moons ago. I don't know. Send it to the copy editor or pass. Just doesn't have the same. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Typewriter. It's essentially, exactly. It's essentially a sports headline like we're ready to go with or we need some more time. Okay. okay. I love right? this. I okay, love it. Let's play it. along. Okay. We'll start in baseball. I've been okay. here all night. The Rangers and Phillies will meet in the World Series. Book it. Print. 
Right? Hot off the press. You yeah, can print, print that. it we're, now. We're printing that. You know, we're printing that for yes. sure. I, and I, you know what? Some of this is also manifesting. If I say print it, it's there. It's ready to go. I want to see these two go head to head in the World Series. Uh, I think they're the deepest lineups in baseball. I think not, the Rangers aren't like top end of the rotation dominant, but that's what the Phillies have. I just think Arizona's here a little bit too soon. They're going to get exposed just a little bit by what I think is like the class right now, at least in terms of playoff baseball, and that's the Phillies. And then I just think the Rangers are undeniable right now, and the Houston Astros just aren't what they were. And I think it's going to be Phillies and Rangers print it. And it'll be the most competitive, and that's kind of what you, I want to see seven games. I don't want to see someone get swept, so that would do it. Rangers are minus 500. They're up 2 nothing in the series, obviously. Mm-hmm. Phillies up one not- one nothing in the series, minus 425. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the betting lines think that <laughs> it's obviously... Safe okay. to print. Okay, Connor McDavid was ranked number one today in a controversial oh, yeah. ESPN list. Basically, the projections of the top 100 in the league. So Matthews was five, Jack Hughes was four, McKinnon three, McCarr, and then big Connor McDavid at the top. Here's the headline. No one's catching Connor McDavid. He will be right back here at number one next year, no doubt. I'm also going to print this one. He is, and that that one made me think a little bit. I think I'm living in a little bit of the the hype of seeing Austin Matthews and thinking that this might be something special. But Connor McDavid is the best hockey player in the world, and in one year from now, I believe he will still be the best hockey player in the world. Uh, yeah, come on now. Let's print this. Let's print this in 2024, 2025, 2026, and 2027. You Connor don't McDavid. think that there's a point where. Connor Bedard, they just they just scratch out McDavid and they say Bedard reprint. No, I don't think we're anywhere close yet. I think McDavid is is generational among generationals, uh, and I think for that reason he's going to stay there for quite a while. All right, Raptors schedule on Sportsnet released, and we have Nick Nurse's return Ooh-hoo. in Toronto, October twenty eighth. Then on February nine, Fred Van Vliet comes back to town. The headline: Both will receive cheers and no booze. Oh, interesting. I think it kind of depends where the Raptors season is at, too. If fans are petty and they just are already thrown in the right. towel, mm. and they might get a little bit, like, bitter that, you know, Fred might be on to something better and Nick Nurse has got some superstars. But I believe in this fan base, and I think that they both will deserve some cheers, and I don't think I'll hear any boos. I think we got to pass this one because there's going to be a couple booing Nick Nurse, I think. I, I don't Some know. Drunken I, I don't guys, know eh? if it's deserved. I think it'll be unanimous approval for Fred yes. Van Vliet. I, I think it has to be, even though, though he's the one who made the decision to go elsewhere. But I feel like the nurse thing shouldn't be, isn't as celebratory as it should be. And I think there are a couple couple who've added too a uh, couple too many who will boo <laughs> Nick Nurse, despite you know him being a pretty massive legend in Toronto. All right, well you know they're both going to get very nice uh, welcome board messages. It'll be a lovely tribute, and we'll see that in a couple weeks. Raptors regular season kicks off in a week from tomorrow. We'll have lots of Raptors coverage coming up. Of course, you got the Raptors show with Will Lou now every day from two to four. So make sure you're tuning into that. Well, that's it for us. Um, a little extra thirty minute tidbits for you before we throw it to NLCS game two. Uh, that's on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan Phillies up one nothing. Can they make it another win on home field? We'll see tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow on the fan pregame at 6 p.m. with Justin and Ailish. Thanks for listening. Have a great night, everyone.